This your boy Rob Brandon, aka Rob the Realtor, also known as Mr. 45. I want to thank you for tuning in to I Put the Real and Real Estate Podcast. Guys, we got a special guest in the building today. Uh, we've been trying to get in contact with this guy for a couple for a couple months now, and uh, he was able to make some time in his schedule uh, to be with us. I have in the building Mr. Herman McKinney Jr. Mr. McKinney, say hello to the people. Hello, good folks, good people of the Queen City and surrounding areas. For everybody who doesn't know Mr. McKinney, Mr. McKinney is a Howard University grad. He also attended uh, Cal State at Long Beach. Uh, he's very familiar with the investment world and the real estate world as well. We're kind of going to jump around a little bit and talk to him about his background in finance, but mainly touching on the real estate and how it's shaped and affected him and what he's currently doing now. How does that sound, Herman? Sounds good. Okay. Um, so as a youth, I would say maybe 7 to 14, 7 to 17, somewhere in that time frame, uh, was home ownership something you aspired to or was it preached to you as a youth? Well, I would say that... Um... Um, my parents did own their own home, and early on, my father bought some apartment buildings. Um, so when I was in elementary school and junior high school, I had to sometimes go with him to cut the lawn and do some maintenance at some of his apartment buildings. Was that something you enjoyed doing? It's not something I enjoyed doing, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what it did teach me was, um, you know, that my father... You know, that you had to learn how to have relationships with all different types of people. So even so, I got to, you know, be friends with certain kids in that neighborhood. And um, so it taught me a lot, even though it's not something that I enjoy. So I can definitely relate. I know uh, I grew up the son of a a tile layer. Dad laid ceramic tile. And I remember those uh, summer months going into the various houses and apartment buildings. Some were extremely hot, some were extremely cold, and I hated doing it as well, but it definitely taught me a trade and uh, the ability to value money at an early age as well. Okay, well, definitely with me, uh, being able to fix things, that, that, that skipped a generation, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm one of those guys that has to stroke a check to get something fixed. So you said you didn't enjoy it. I, I know where you're at currently, so I'm going to get to that particular point to fill in our listeners. But with that being said, um, home ownership, uh, the importance of it was something that was in front of you and presented at an early age. When you got to Howard University, I know as an adult now, we tend to flock towards like-minded individuals. Is that something that was in front of you? When you were at at Howard, now I know you you, you majored. Your, I'm sorry, your MBA was in finance, but did you have exposure to housing and investments as well when you were at Howard? Not really. Um, when I was at Howard, coming out, I was really more focused on getting a job. Uh, didn't really have any ideas on real estate investment, any serious ideas at that time. So I was more focused on getting a job. So when I graduated from Howard, I did uh, end up getting a job in banking. Um, but um, right when I was uh, I graduated and had that first job, I immediately wanted to buy a house. And I ended up buying 
a condo in Inglewood, California, right near the, the Great Western Forum. Wow. I remember the Great Western Forum. I heard a lot of stories about that place. Um, so when you got that first home, that condo, what was that feeling like? It was great. I mean, I was probably 22, 23 years old, married at the time. Um, so um, everything pretty much went smooth and got that first place. So Now, do you have any siblings? or? I do have a sister. Uh, she was a L.A. Los Angeles police, police officer at the time. Okay. Um, but um, and my father was still there. Um, but I really didn't get into buying another piece of investment property until I came out here to the Charlotte area. Okay. Okay. So it's pretty cool just to experience the first home purchase in a big market like L.A. Uh, I would imagine there's some different challenges as it pertains to that that may come with that as opposed to here in Charlotte, North Carolina as well. Uh, could you talk to me a little bit about Omega Capital, the Omega Capital Group? Oh, you've done your research. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean to you? What is that? Um, well, I did mention my first job um, right out of college was in banking. I worked for Union Bank. I went through their commercial lending training program. But I've always had the uh, bug to be an entrepreneur. So um, when I left Union Bank, I did start my own mortgage brokerage company, which was called Omega Capital Group. So at Omega Capital Group, we um, uh, uh, did financing for single-family homes primarily. And also, um, I did also did some property management through Omega Capital Group as well. So I did that up until the time that I um, uh, moved out to the Charlotte area. So that was probably a good seven years with Omega Capital Group. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about the home buying process. Uh, we talk about other things as well, but a lot of it is tied to real estate. So for some of my listeners who've recently purchased a home or in that process of purchasing a home, when you said you were a mortgage broker um, with Omega Capital when we keep checking with our realtor, trying to figure out what's the status, and they say they're working on it, they're working on it. Why does it take so long to close these loans? It's a good question. Um, it depends on, well, let me back up and, and, and kind of break down the difference between a mortgage broker and a mortgage banker. So a mortgage broker is someone that's going to take your application and they're going to basically pre-qualify you or pre-approve you. But what they're going to do is they're going to, I hate to use the word shop, but they're going to find the lender out there that has the best loan product for your particular situation. So they may have, like when I was a mortgage broker, we maybe worked with maybe 10 to 15 different uh, lenders that we were able to place our clients with. Uh, whereas if you go to a mortgage banker, they're going to only going to be offer you their menu of loan products exclusively. That's it. So if say for instance you have one late payment on your mortgage history or rental history, uh, that mortgage banker might turn you down just for that. Um, so a good mortgage broker is going to know 
uh, look at your profile, your particular situation, and know where to place your loan to get your loan approved and get it and get it closed as quickly as possible. Okay. So being at Omega Capital, uh, so you started that as well. That's 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 a big accomplishment uh, in itself. I see after um, Omega Capital. Hopefully, I got the the lineage correctly. Can you talk to me a little bit about McKinney and Company? So McKinney and Company was the mortgage brokerage that uh, I established out here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I did run that with uh, a partner. Uh, her name is Jackie Bush. Uh, so the two of us ran Omega Capital for a, a good 10 years here in the Charlotte area. So again, we were a mortgage brokerage company. And we worked uh, primarily with uh, realtors in the area, uh, someone like yourself, um, to help those clients finance the purchase of of homes. We also did refinances, but I would say about 80% of our business came from realtors. And we did do a a, a small amount of commercial loans as well. So I'm not asking you to... Give me an answer if you're not sure on this, but some of, one of the other previous podcasts that we had, we talked about the lending process. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we send people to the lender and unfortunately they don't get qualified. And I know you guys are looking uh, at their financials to assess the risk to determine if they're going to be able to actually own a home. For those people that did not qualify and were not able to own a home, one of the popular things right now that's going on and for a while is credit repair, paying people $300 or $1,500 or whatever the case may be to repair your credit in a short amount of time to get you qualified to purchase a home. Do you know if that works or not? In my experience, um, those situations do not work for the long term, and I would not recommend uh, a credit repair service. Uh, a lot of those things you can do yourself. Um, put me put it this way: if you're legitimately late on a credit card or a mortgage, then that derogatory item is going to stay on your credit for at least. Uh, these figures might be a little off now, but I would say at least seven years. But if you have a situation where you have a late payment that's incorrect, you don't need to go to a third party to get that corrected. You can work with the credit bureaus and maybe that um, uh, creditor to get that corrected yourself without having to pay any additional costs. Now, I will say this as well. Um, If you get denied for a loan, you know, talk with that lender or talk with that creditor to understand why you were denied. Was it because uh, of late payments? Or was it because your um, the amount of credit that you have is close to being maxed out? Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to understand what the reasons were that you were denied so that you can work on correcting that. And, and most of the time, it's just going to take time for you to work that stuff out. So if you if you got late payments, you got to make sure that you string out a good 6 to 9 to 12 months worth of consecutive on-time payments on your accounts. If you are got too much usage on your accounts, then you need to work on bringing those balances down. So I wouldn't rush out to um, pay a third party to, to get your credit score improved. 
Thank you for that. To all my listeners out there, you heard Mr. McKinney. Uh, again, it sounds as if a lot of this stuff you can do on your own. I would imagine starting with printing out your credit report, seeing what's on there, and <clears throat> seeing what you have in savings and try to start paying off some things. Um, so you talked to me about Omega Capital. You talked to me about McKinney and Company. Uh, my audience uh, kind of expands across various ethnicities. I want to speak to one generation right now or one group just pretty influential in a lot of different things as far as the culture is concerned and it's to the to the hip-hop group right now and one of the things that's permeating through that culture is ownership uh entrepreneurship uh with the likes of a jay-z with the 444 album uh, a nipsey hustle with the victory lap album and the marathon clothing store and the things that he was doing out there to become vertically integrated the Damon Dash interview a couple uh, years ago on the Breakfast Club, uh, and some of these businesses that we referenced with you, you were doing in the, in the mid '90s. So my question to you is: When did you first uh, get that bug as far as to decide you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I know you did some things with your dad and things of that nature, but when did you get that bug that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I would say I've always had the bug in me to be an entrepreneur. Um, my father uh, encouraged me to uh, look into entrepreneurship. I think that's because in his generation, he felt that um, you know he needed to get a job, work for the government, or teach to have that security. Um, and he understood that the only way to truly gain wealth in this country is ownership, whether that be real estate, whether that be a business. Um, So there's a big difference between um, wealthy, it's not the income you make, it's it's having assets and ownership and having a business or investments earn money for you when you're not actively, necessarily actively involved. Does that make sense? It does. It, It makes perfect sense. So, so, I'm sorry. So, I was going to say, so I, I applaud, um, you know, some of these hip-hop icons like Jay-Z, Nipsey Hussle for, you know, owning their, um, owning real estate, owning their own businesses, making sure they own their, the rights to their music. I mean, you can see how much, what happened to the Beatles um, when Michael Jackson bought, I think, the rights to some of the Beatles music. I mean, that's, those things pay royalties you know, in perpetuity, you know, the way that music kind of goes. So that that's the way we have to have that mentality in terms of ownership to really get ahead. And for anybody don't know what perpetuity means, that's forever. Forever, ever. Forever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got a question that came in from the IG live feed. Uh, it could be rhetorical, but I'm going to ask you to answer it. Uh, this individual indicated, why don't more people partner together to start these businesses as opposed to one person waiting two years to save up a hundred thousand as opposed to 10 people coming together with $10,000 each for the same common goal. I know you have partners in some of the businesses that you referenced. Can you speak to that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that, um, you know, we have to learn how to, uh, 
develop partnerships because not everybody brings the same thing to the table. You might have one person that has um, the, the funds. You might have other people that have uh, what they bring to the table is uh, some business savvy and they have time. Maybe they don't, they're um, self-employed and they have the time to do you know research on uh, on the business or have time to kind of execute the business plan. Other folks might have good credit. So you really need to kind of pull all those resources together um, to, to, make, um, to, really, to, to, to make a big splash in terms of do something of significance in the business world. So I think it's something that we definitely need to look at in terms of joining forces together to um, make some things happen. Okay. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, hopefully, uh, the listener was listening and uh, he will use some of that information that you provided. Uh, we are in a new year, uh, 2020. Uh, we talked about some of your old companies, some of your old accolades. Let's uh, jump into something a little bit more current. Can you talk to me about DDT Real Estate Investment Company? Sure. Uh, DDT Real Estate is, well, let me give you some background on that. So, Back when I was running um, McKinney and Company, uh, again, I was telling you, I, I did, um, we were a mortgage brokerage company, and we did a lot of um, financing and purchases of real estate, um, mostly folks with uh, buying homes. Uh, we did, my clientele was primarily A credit clients, with maybe about 25% of them having so called subprime credit. But during that time, um, I met a couple of individuals that were buying rental properties, um, you know, two at a time, three at a time. And in a couple of cases, uh, I had a situation where I had a client who owned almost a whole neighborhood in the Charlotte area. What's, what's that? Um, or oh, Remington Street. What's that neighborhood over there? Um. Over off McDonald Street and Remington and Botany. I know exactly where you're right, talking right. about. Right, right. So, so Washington I had, Heights. Washington Heights. That's yeah. it. Right. So I had a I had a client who um, owned almost a whole, let's say, three or four blocks in the Washington Heights neighborhood. So I was financing. The, they had like, like six or seven guys that got together that were going to buy um, houses from this one guy in bulk. So they came to me for the financing. So I was tasked with helping, uh, I say maybe like six or seven guys each buy about 10 properties each. So I was able to do that, got that done successfully. That was very profitable for me and very profitable for those guys because they were able to get into some investment properties. But the second time around, they came to me. I said, hey, I want to get in on this. So that, that time around, I also purchased 10 properties from the same gentleman. So at that time, uh, when I bought those properties, uh, I created, me and my wife created DDT Real Estate to be our real estate investment holding company. Uh, so that's a company that we use to um, operate all of our rentals. And also at this point right now, we're looking to buy some additional uh, real estate to, to flip, you know, buy a house, fix it up, and flip it for a profit. So that's kind of the genesis of how DDT got started. How's, it, how's business going? 
Business on the real estate side is is, is good as far as the, the long-term holds. Um, we still own those properties in that Washington Heights neighborhood. But as far as finding the, a, a property to, to buy and flip at the right price, that's going a little slow. But um, if anybody knows anything about real estate investment, uh, you got to buy right to make money because you can't you can't take that back. That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, so with that being said, I got another question that's coming in from my live IG feed. Do you recommend putting your own home that you live in in an LLC or titled under some sort of investment company? Your primary residence? Yes. I don't really see the, the benefit of put, putting your primary residence in an LLC. Um, I, the, the reason why people put a rental property in an LLC is because you have you know, risk for, for getting sued. Um, so there's some protections that you might want for a rental property that's a business. But as far as your primary residence, um, you know, your 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 homeowner's insurance and the, uh, should protect you from those typical things. Somebody coming in your house, slipping and falling, those things should be covered under your normal homeowner's policy. And then just to kind of back up a moment, you threw out a term, Some I'm familiar with, but some of our listeners may not be familiar with it. You referenced the term uh, subprime credit. Can you tell them what that means or what you meant by that? Sure. Subprime credit... Um, basically refers to someone uh, or a loan uh, where the person's credit history is not stellar. So that could be... Now, back when I was actively involved in the mortgage business, uh, a 620 credit score and above was considered really good or good enough to be considered A credit. That is not the case now. Um, so a, a 620 right now would be considered more subprime or below. Prime means excellent or best, meaning you're going to get the best rates um, from, the, from the lenders. I would say these days your credit score needs to be anywhere between 680 to 700 to be considered A-plus credit. Um, so, um, so that's the difference between prime and subprime. And again, I'm... I know things may have changed since you were on the mortgage side and you're more so on the investment side right now. And I know there's different products out here. We have hard money lenders. We have people that are just paying cash. We have investors that are financing. Um, Of course, with a primary uh, mortgage purchase, depending on the loan type, uh, depends on what percent you need to put down for the people that are out there listening. Uh, For the most part, just to kind of keep it clean, you have a FHA loan. It's generally going to be about 3% down, 3.5, somewhere in there. Right. A conventional loan is going to be roughly about 20% down. There are some more <clears throat> conventional products out there within the last 5 to 10 years that allow you to put uh, a lesser percentage down. But what I want you to speak to, and again, if things change since you've last done that, that's fine as well. But I do want some of our soon-to-be investors, real estate investors, to know that it's a different percentage that's required to be put down for an investment property. Right. Right. Can well, you me, speak to that? Sure, I can speak to that. Well, let me uh, start off by saying for your listeners that might be first-time home buyers, 
And these are uh, a suggestion I give to my uh, grown children. <laughs> as far as when you start looking for financing, the first place I would go to is your local credit union. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because um, uh, I want to get, we, we can talk about this for a long time, but credit unions don't necessarily sell their loans to the secondary market. Mm-hmm. So, and we, I don't know how deep you want to get into this conversation, but but a lot of credit unions are what we what they consider portfolio lenders, meaning that they decide what the loan criteria is going to be uh, in making their loan. So they decide what type of credit you need, what type of down payment you have to have, uh, et cetera. And generally speaking, I would say they're a lot more flexible than your standard uh, conventional lender. Matter of fact, I, I, I don't want to. I know we're not giving any endorsements out here, but I belong to a credit union, and they still offer 100% financing. Go ahead, shout them out. Oh, State Employees Credit Union. So, talk that talk, Herm. Right. Talk that talk. <laughs> so, um, so they they still offer 100% financing, but that's gonna, only going to be for uh, people that are members of the credit union. And what does it take to be a member? All you have to do is open up a what they call a share account, uh, also known as a savings account. All you got to do is put in $25, at least at State Employees Credit Union, okay. $25. Now, let me tell you a little story. I'll get to your question. You'll remind me if I forget. But um, back when I was uh, in the mortgage business with uh, Omega Capital Group, um, this is at the end of the, the beginning of the Great Recession. So 2008-ish? 2008-ish, 2009-ish, the the... the if you were in the real estate business or the lending business, it was a great recession. I'm not a great depression. It wasn't a recession. So um, I was in the process of um, uh, closing down the business. Um, but uh, I had this gentleman, prom- very prominent gentleman in the Charlotte community, uh, came to me and said, Hey, man, I- I've been trying to get this loan for months and months, and I've, been- I've gotten turned down everywhere I've gone. Um, I have, happened to meet this guy at a political fundraiser. So for all you people out there in business, make sure you go to mixers, uh, make sure you go to fundraisers, and you network. Because uh, you never know when you pass out a car when an individual is going to call you back. So anyway, long story short, uh, this guy called me while I was kind of shutting down my business. And again, so I looked at his scenario. He had a bankruptcy. Uh, he had a few late payments. But uh, he made great income, and he had a lot of equity in his properties. Um, and the bankruptcy and the late payments were maybe about a year or two old. But I was—was was this Donald Trump? It was not Donald Trump. Oh, okay, okay. Again, uh-huh. someone prominent from the Charlotte area. Gotcha. He's an Aggie. Gotcha. Uh, I don't want to give too many clues out because you know confidentiality. But anyway, so I was able to, through a relationship I had with a manager at State Employees Credit Union. I was able to get this guy uh, approved for a, I think it was a $100,000 equity line of credit that he was looking for. Again, the credit union, uh, and he was already a member of the credit union and never thought to go there to look. But when I have scenarios like that, when I was back in the mortgage business, when I have someone that has a pretty clean situation, but maybe has a few hiccups here and there, one of the first places I look is to go to uh, the credit union. 
So see, now I've said so much, I forgot what the question was. Just as far as uh, for my young investors, the first-time investors out there, what percentage, if they're not paying cash, what okay, percentage okay, they require right, to right. put down if they get financing? So for a uh, investment property, you're looking to put down anywhere between 20 and 30% for traditional uh, financing. So guys, so that's I, a, I encourage you, you need to start saving now. For my younger group, them Jordans, they're released every other month. Put that money in an account. Get some compounding interest. So when you find that property, you can take advantage of the situation. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for uh, lending us your time and uh, joining the podcast. Uh, if you don't mind just shouting your um, information out. I know you got a couple different platforms you're on. You dropped a lot of gems today on our listeners, and I want them to be able to follow you so they can uh, listen to you and, and gain some more of this insightful information. Sure. The best way to uh, reach me, you can check, uh, check me out at my website, or our website, I should say. It's www.ddtrealestate.com. What about your YouTube page? YouTube page, uh, yeah, also DDT Real Estate for the YouTube channel. And we have uh, have an Instagram page, but not too active on there. So the best way to, is to check us out on our website. That's it. Again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to I Put The Real and Real Estate Podcast. This is your boy Rob Brandon, a.k.a. Rob The Realtor. Again, you heard today the Mr. Herman McKinney Jr. We out. Tip.